So we've been making comments for five years now. That's over 100 episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a Canadaland supporter. So from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Hey, yo, Andre, what's up? Hang on, one sec, one sec. What's up, bro? Okay, listen, man. First show, meet a topic. You ready for this? Uh, yeah, sure. You know in the movies when the aliens come down and they're like, take me to your leader? Have you not watched a movie since 1950 or what? Uh, Look, man, you know what I'm saying. If they came to Canada, who would we take them to? That's why you called me up and interrupt the game? Uh, Dude, you take them to the Prime Minister. But... The Prime Minister kind of gets outranked by the Governor General, so shouldn't we take him to the Governor General instead? Okay, fine. I I see what you're getting at. You're trying to flex knowledge on me. But let me ask you this, smart guy. Isn't the Governor General the Queen's representative in Canada? That's true. She's on all our money. Okay, so you would take the aliens over to the Queen. But when was the last time she actually decided anything? The point with the aliens is that they need to know who's in charge, and we can't tell them. If we want to change it to something else, we got to at least know what we have now. Like, who is the leader of our country? All right, we actually got to record the intro to this thing. You ready? Okay. This is Desmond Cole. No, wait, let me try that again. Are you serious right now? Okay, let me start. This is Andre Demise. And I'm Desmond Cole. And this is Canada Land Commons. This episode is brought to you by House of Anansi Press, publishers of Spin. How Politics Has Turned Marketing on Its Head. That's by Clive Veroni. So, eight people could be listening to this show. Could be 8,000. I don't even know. But we actually have a sponsor before we got our first episode. And it's one we're excited about. Okay, so neither of us has actually read Spin yet. We've been too damn busy making this podcast. But we're going to be reading it over the coming weeks. And we'll tell you about it as we do. Now, the book's about how marketers, that is, people who want to sell you things are actually turning to political strategists to get their message through. Now I know what you might be thinking, books plus politics equals boring, but we talked to the author, Clive Roney, and this is what he told us. I've written the book in such a way that it's not a textbook. It's a fun read, it's full of pop cultural references, Uh, My mother read it and laughed. Uh, So, you know, it's the kind of book that's very approachable and very readable. See, he made his mom laugh. And if it's good enough for Clive's mom, it's good enough for me. To buy Spin or to read more about it, go to houseofanancy.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Okay, Andre, first episode. You ready to do this? You sure you're ready to do this? You sound like you've been gargling rocks, bro. No, I've just been out in the street screaming for justice and stuff. The voice is a little raw, but we can do this. All right, now listen, we're starting off this program with one of the most fundamental questions in Canadian politics, which is, who the hell is in charge? And I know it seems like a really basic question, but damned if we know. But, you know, I found somebody who is a good sport about answering really simple questions. We were looking for someone who knows their stuff, but doesn't sound like a political insider. I mean, I don't even think of myself as a politics junkie, which sounds kind of crazy, given that I have a PhD in political science. I teach political science. Like, that's what I do every day. And Andre, that makes her perfect for this show. So that's Erin Tolley. And as she said, she's a teacher. She's from Saskatchewan. She's an assistant professor of political science at the University of Toronto. And she teaches an intro to Canadian politics course. And Andre, I really love Aaron's approach in the classroom. She actually plays footage of other parliaments where there have been brawls to demonstrate to her students how relatively civil we are in Canada. So we think our politics is really, you know, negative, but ours is actually pretty tame. I mean, I think maybe if there were a few brawls that maybe people would pay a bit more uh, attention to it. I saw a pretty sweet fight in the Indian parliament one time where people were actually ripping the metal microphones off of the podiums and swinging them around on their heads to build momentum before launching them at each other. Have you ever found that footage? Uh, that I'll, I'll need to look. I'll have to add it to my brawl footage. That know? was legit. <laughs> People were upset. <laughs> okay, did you actually like ask her some questions or did you just search YouTube videos for politics and dropkick off the top rope? No, we were actually talking about politics. It was a great conversation with Aaron. Let me play you some of my favorite parts. You know, we started off with the big question. Can you tell us who our leader is in one sentence? Is that possible? I don't think that's possible. God, no wonder students have so much trouble on exams. <laughs> what I tell my students is there aren't necessarily right answers in politics. So if that was, for example, a question on a, on a final exam, there'd be a lot of answers that I would actually potentially accept. So I think the answer that most Canadians would give is they would say the prime minister, that's our leader. He leads our country. But there's other kinds of answers. So it's not necessarily the prime minister. Why not? Usually when people talk about the head of our country, they distinguish by saying the queen is our head of state uh, and she is represented by the governor general in Canada, whereas the prime minister is our head of government. So those are sort of the two components of this dual executive. Let's go through each one first, starting with the prime minister's role. Okay, so the prime minister, that's our head of government. And he, at the moment, he uh, decides basically what government is going to look like and and the sort of track it's going to take. All right, now let's try the queen. Yeah, so the head of state, that's, uh, that's queen, represented in Canada by the governor general. So you can think of this person uh, mostly as playing a ceremonial function, but also having a few important roles, namely calling parliament, so bringing parliament together, also dissolving parliament. And it's the governor general that basically calls elections. But most of those things are done on the advice of the prime minister. So we've got the queen, we've got the governor general who represents the queen, We've got the prime minister who's the head of government. Which one of them is in charge? I mean, for the most part, I think you'd say the prime minister. But the governor general is kind of there. I mean, some people refer to the governor general as like 
the fire extinguisher. So the governor general is there in case something real bad happens that, you know, say the prime minister is going to overstep his bounds. The governor general is there to safeguard against that. And so the governor general is really sort of like the protector of, of democracy. Okay, so in 2008, the prime minister asks the governor general to suspend parliament. And even though it's a very controversial move because he's in a really difficult spot politically, the governor general says, sure, I'll suspend parliament. A lot of people wanted the governor general to make a different decision or questioned whether or not she could even make a different decision. Has the governor general ever said no to the prime minister's request before? So, no, the governor general has never denied a request for prorogation. Though people talk about, you know, how this was not democratic and, you know, maybe uh, the government shouldn't have done that. The prorogation is really bad. It set a really bad precedent. But in 2011, when Canadians had the opportunity to uh, bring in a new government, if they chose, they didn't. They instead returned a majority conservative government, which to me says that, People don't really find it that undemocratic at all. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Let me jump in real quick. Maybe they just don't care or they don't understand. I'm a policy major and I still had to Google prorogation back in 2008. So did many other people, right? I mean, even on that clip, Aaron says that the governor general has never denied prorogation. That's true. But there was a case in which the governor general said, you cannot dissolve parliament even though you are asking. I mean, these words, prorogation versus dissolution of parliament... These are confusing things. They're kind of similar, but they're not really the same thing. So we have this convention that says the governor general can say yes or no to the prime minister. But in reality, it almost really never takes place. There's all these confusing layers of power. And while I was talking to Aaron, I wanted to get my head around why those layers even exist in the first place. How much of the complexity of this system has to do with the fact that we're just a former colony of Great Britain? Is that part of the reason why this is so complicated? No, I don't think so. I mean, I don't think being a colony makes things more complicated. I mean, a lot of people will say to me, well, I just understand American politics so much better. It's so much easier to understand. But really, if you started asking a lot of questions about the American system, people couldn't answer a lot of questions about that. You know, the Electoral College, which is, you know, the method of election there. It's not that easy to understand. Primaries, what's going on there? Like, how are, how are those happening? But because people see it on TV a lot, there's a lot of TV shows that sort of are about American politics. People sort of feel more of a fluency, I guess, in the, in the kind of language. Whereas, like, Prince Charles, that's not sexy, right? People aren't really, don't find that like a turn on. Except Camilla. <laughs> Perhaps, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know for sure. <laughs> We'll go into that. I had to. I'm sorry. (laughs) But for a lot of people, I mean, the problem with the queen, they might think she's a real nice lady, but she does represent, you know, colonialism. She represents aristocracy, a right to power through hereditary means. Like, it sounds a little bit archaic. It sounds a little bit outdated. And particularly for our Aboriginal peoples, that this is sort of a, a symbol of, conquest and, you know, Aboriginals losing title to their land, those symbols, they say something about what we deem to be um, important and whose rights or feelings of inclusion we might be overlooking. Could we change this system if we really wanted to? So it depends what you wanted to change. So if you're talking about getting rid of the monarchy, for example, if that's the kind of change you wanted to make, 
that's close to impossible to, to change. Uh, it would require a constitutional amendment uh, that would require the consent of all provinces. And it would also require some sort of groundswell of support from the public that this was a good idea, that we should really get involved in sort of reopening our constitution. And that doesn't really exist. I mean, some public opinion polling has suggested that something like only 40% of Canadians would actually like an elected head of state. So there's not really a lot of support for that idea. But nothing in our system is set in stone. So yeah, sure, we have a constitution and the constitution is hard to change. In some ways, I think that's a good thing. I mean, constitutions shouldn't be easy to change. It is sort of an old rule book, and some of the rules aren't even in the rule book. I mean, one of the things that makes it sometimes difficult to learn about Canadian politics is some of the rules are unwritten. So there's things that just happen, you know, we say it happens by convention. Um, and for a lot of people, that seems not right. Like, what do you mean? There's there's things that aren't in the rule book. Um, what are some of the, like, name me a thing that we just do as part of our traditions that isn't written down. So one thing that's not mentioned anywhere in the Constitution is typically when an election happens, the governor general will ask the leader of the party who has won the most seats in the House of Commons to become prime minister to form the government. Um, but that's a convention. So wait, you're, you're, you're saying that when we elect party X because they have the most seats and their leader becomes prime minister, that that's actually not part of the rules. Yes, by convention, it typically is the the leader of the party that, that wins the most seats. Um, but that's not written anywhere. I mean, there's a lot of things that happen in everyday life that aren't really written, that people just do, you know, holding the door open so it doesn't slam in the face of the person behind you. It's not written anywhere. If you wanted to slam doors in people's faces, sure, you could do that. But you kind of look like a shitty person, right? Yeah, but me holding my farts in at the office is not the same as running a country. Like, if I sign a telephone contract, like, if I go and get a cell phone, everything is explicitly laid out over the course of, like, four to five pages back to back. You would think that electing the leader of our country, or at least choosing the leader of our country, comes with some sort of a written contract, no? The, the, the thing about this is that I don't know if there's anything to be afraid of. And the reason why is that the governor general, if they decided, for example, to choose someone as prime minister who was not the party leader of the party that got the most seats, then they would have to answer a million questions about why they were doing that. And everyone would suddenly notice that there was a governor general and that they were making all of these weird ass decisions. OK, they would notice that there's a governor general. But given that the governor general is the quote unquote head of state and is not elected, what could they really do about it? That's a good question, Andre. <laughs> uh, but I also think you're kind of suggesting that the governor general has this like supreme power over us that, say, the prime minister doesn't have. These people are all our leaders. And in the end, as Aaron said, if we want to have a groundswell and we want to really dictate that things need to change, we can do that if we feel like it. Like the power is still in our hands, ultimately. I mean, one advantage of having these sort of unwritten uh, rules is some flexibility, right? And particularly in the case of Canada, where our constitution is so difficult to change, you wouldn't necessarily want everything written in the rule book. I mean, we have the power at our disposal to change things if if we want it. Maybe we just haven't, you know, in the intervention language, we haven't hit our rock bottom yet. And, uh, and maybe that's still to come. So that was Aaron's take on Canada's leadership. So what are you thinking, man? Okay, I'm just going to say, for one, I hope I never get picked to be governor general. I'd be, I just, I would be an awful... Horrible governor general. I would just do stuff just to do it. And when people say something, I'd be like, yeah, 
and what? So what you're saying is that you'd be pretty much exactly as you are right now. Thanks. Appreciate that, bro. <laughs> I'm not hating, Andre. I'm just saying it like it is, man. I'm still a little bit confused about this. So from what I get from this, we didn't get a simple answer to the question. We actually got more complicated questions and some that even scare me. We don't even have a rule book as to how we elect the prime minister. If you went and asked most Canadians, hey, do you think there should be like a written set of rules as to how we elect the prime minister? They would say, yeah, there really should be. But if you ask Canadians whether or not they get scared that one day the governor general is going to ask someone other than the leader of a party that wins to be prime minister, I don't think that that would scare them. I don't think that that keeps people up at night. All I'm saying is there are less rules in parliament as to how we have a leader of this country than there are for me to have a barbecue on my balcony. Okay, so obviously the big news as we're sitting here talking today is that the royals had another baby. Fantastic. An unemployed couple brings another hungry mouth into the world. Sorry, go ahead. I know you're terrified because you're paranoid, obviously. I can tell from what you've been saying. And maybe you're worried that this new royal baby that we've just heard announced is going to come into Canada and push you around one day. So, you know, what do you think about the fact that we still have a monarch as our head of state? Hey, look, man, first of all, I'm never losing a fight to a baby. You could put me up against like a thousand babies and I'm still going to come out on top. So you're not the only one that's got access to smart people. I actually went out and found a smart person of my own, and I spoke to Sean Horbin. Sean is the regional coordinator of Ontario for the Monarch League of Canada. So basically, he's the guy that would like for a bunch of royal babies to come over here and push you around, because that ain't never happening to me. Here's what he had to say. So you have sort of dual referees going on here. Engaged voters are observing the uh, actions of the prime minister's office and making decisions based on that, which they can express in the next election. But you also have a governor general whose authority comes to the Queen, who is also examining every single piece of legislation being passed and is there to guarantee that the process of constitutional government is being observed. The fact that it's not an elected position is really important there, because if it was an elected position, it would be like having a, a hockey game where the referee is chosen from one of the teams, and it doesn't really work. Okay, but bro, 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 I'm going to stop you right there. I guess the hard time I'm having with this is it's almost like you're saying to me that in order to have peace, order, and good government, um, in order to be the uh, the referee or the scorekeeper here, you have to be bred into the position. You can't be born and work your way up to that kind of position. You can't be somebody who wants the best for their own no, country. I, you have to be born into that You know what, power. I'll tell you, one of the best quotes that has backed up why I believe in the monarchy is a quote, ironically enough, from an American thinker, Gore Vidal. And he was talking about the presidency of the United States when he made this comment, but I think it explains why we have kept a monarchy in Canada. And he said, the desire to become president of the United States should automatically disqualify you from ever becoming president of the United States, with the idea being that those who crave power, who want it, often are very bad at exercising it. And one should always be suspect of people who seek power. Now, that's not to say there aren't good politicians out there, but when you have something like headship of state, whether it's at the provincial or national level, in our system, the lieutenant governors, the governor general, and the queen, none of those people went looking for that job. And that's a really significant thing because it means they are there out of a sense of what they owe their country, or a sense of, of personal duty. I mean, the Queen has been very vocal about the fact that she does what she does because she feels called to it, and because she thinks it's of immense importance, and it is the whole point of her entire life. All right, that's 
You know what? I can't really top that. Uh, but I guess what you're also saying that if I have a son or a daughter and they want to be prime minister someday, um, the proper response to that would be to drown them in a bathtub. <laughs> I'm just playing. I'm just. I'm. I'm totally kidding with you. <laughs> We're gonna offend so many people with that. Okay, Andre, I underestimated you clearly. You know what strikes me about it is that. It seems to be that in these discussions about who should hold power and whether or not they should have ambition, power itself seems to be the problem. The problem seems to be that we feel stuck, that in the end, we've got to choose someone or some group of people who will have immense power over all the rest of us. That actually seems to be the problem, not who that person is or how much that they want it, but there exists this possibility that someone can have that much power over other people. That is part of the problem, and we've seen in the past how that power being exercised over certain groups of people has led to disastrous consequences. For example? For Well, I'll put it this way. So if if a group of people had, I don't know, invaded the United Kingdom and killed most of its people, pushed the rest of them off into territories that were unfit for sustainable living, and after that had been done, placed the leader or at least the figurehead of this movement on British currency, I wonder how they'd have to feel about that. Yo, I can't speak on that, man. You just said it all. Well, that actually fits perfectly with a conversation that I had. Um, you know that I'm on Twitter a lot probably more than I should be. And I found a really cool dude. His name is Dallas Hunt. Dallas is of indigenous background. And uh, he's a PhD student at UBC. He studies English. He's also in indigenous studies. So I asked him who he thinks the leader of the country is. And being the smart guy that he is, he listed, you know, the prime minister, the governor general, he listed the queen. But he also said something really interesting I think you should hear. To me personally, and I think generally to Indigenous peoples, they kind of look to their own communities for leadership. So they look to traditional councils, elder councils, kind of the members on the ground involved in movements and activities. I think that's who Indigenous peoples look to for leadership. So if I speak to uh, Sean from the Monarchist League, he almost makes it seem like leadership is, is organized from the top down. And what you're saying to me is it's the other way around. It's supposed to come from the bottom up? Yeah, exactly. I mean... This top-down leadership approach has had, uh, I mean, there's a long history of that in terms of settler and indigenous relations. Obviously, it's a colonial, asymmetrical relationship that I don't think accounts for a lot of the voices that are being, you know, uh, actually being articulated. A colonial and asymmetrical relationship. It describes a lot of, I think, what both you and I are afraid of, is not only that we ultimately have to decide that somebody has to have power and make decisions, but that the people who make those decisions maybe are so much more powerful and influential than all the people that they're deciding for. I think it also answers the question, and I've, as to my paranoia about a royal baby coming over to this country and pushing me around, we've already seen examples of that happening in the past, and it hasn't turned out so well for the indigenous groups that had to live through that. And we might say that, well, that happened so long ago, but the fact is they're still living with the repercussions of that. So I think there are some larger questions to be asked about what it is the monarchy represents, what it is the governor general represents, and really who should be the leader of our country. Should it be a complete top-down structure where it's almost like a divine hand from above is tasked with guiding the direction of this country, or should we start dispersing power to groups of people who have a much more 
uh, well-rounded investment in how this country is run. It's not a perfect system, right? But what we have now, at the very least, is something that we can build off of. I don't think we have to despair, but we got to mobilize to try and make things better than they are. At least we got a little into this and started exploring a little bit of how it works. And we learned a couple of things. I learned a couple of things. I learned that you don't mess with babies and they shouldn't mess with you. And I definitely learned from Dallas Hunt that we don't necessarily need to look at the leadership that exists now, the one that we were born into, and think that that's the only way to go, that we can look in our own communities for leadership and start there instead. I learned that the Canadian system of government scares me and I'm probably the most unfit potential father in the world. All right, that's it for the first episode. We really want to thank everyone that we talked to about this. In fact, we talked to too many people, more so than we could include in the show. But we want this to be the start of the conversation. So feel free to hit us both up. I'm on Twitter, at Desmond Cole. And I'm at Andre Demise. That's A-N-D-R-A-Y-D-O-M-I-S-E. Or you can email the program at commons, C-O-M-M-O-N-S, at canadalandshow.com. The show was produced this week by our super talented producer, Andrew Norton. Our intern is Katie Jensen. And thanks to Nathan Burley for the music. The new Canada Land Network website is canadalandshow.com. You can support this show and our other podcasts at patreon.com slash canadaland. And if you like the program, which we know you did, You can subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. And while you're at it, please go ahead and show us some love. Give us that five-star review. The next episode of Shortcuts will be up Thursday. And God willing, crossing my fingers over here, we will be back with a new episode on Tuesday. Very astute, you off-brand ass Matt Galloway. This episode is brought to you in part by the Douglas Mattress. Now, I've said it before and I'll say it again. One of the best, and I mean the best things you can do for yourself, is to get a good quality mattress. The time is now, people. Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress protector, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That's douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. So we've been making comments for five years now. It's over a hundred episodes and counting. And our plan? Well, it's to keep making more seasons, even more episodes. And when I say we, I don't just mean the Commons team. I'm including you, our listeners and supporters. We can't make this show without you. We can't keep bringing you exceptional reporting every week without your support. We want to make it as easy as possible for you to become a CanadaLand supporter. So, from now until the end of May, we have a special deal for our listeners. Sign up now for just $2 a month for the next six months. You'll get access to all the episodes of Commons one week early and ad-free, as well as exclusive bonus content from all of our shows. There's discounts on merch, tickets to our live events, and so much more. This is a limited-time offer, and it's a pretty great deal that helps support our journalism. Just go to canadaland.com join or click the link in your show notes to become a supporter today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, 
all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 